0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Future in Space Hangout sponsored by the American Astronautical Society and this is your place to learn about the latest cutting edge technologies that will get humans into space as well as keeping an eye on the future of space astronomy. My name is Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and I want to welcome everybody watching live as well as those of you who watching after the stream is over because you guys uh, are also an important part of these viewing audience as well and you can interact with our guests today by Asking questions which are on the live chat, which I'm looking at now, and I already see Peter Cube, Andrew Planet, John Suffolk, a lot of the regulars here uh, ready to ask questions uh, on the YouTube live chat, but you can also do it on our Discord server. And there's a link to that in the description box of this video, so I invite you to go there. i am also got that live on my other computer. so uh, And that is where you can chat 24-7, so I highly recommend you join our, our Deep Astronomy Discord server. So I still check both of these things uh, after the chat chat is over or the live stream is over, so I can ask. All right, I'll try to answer your questions myself after we're done. So this week we're going to be talking with members of a team that NASA uh, has that are designing a technological gateway near the moon. Now, last year, NASA announced that it would like to build something near the moon where astronauts will build and begin testing the systems needed for challenging missions to deep space destinations, including Mars. Now the area of space near the moon is important because it will it offers a true deep space environment that will allow us to gain experience for human missions that push farther into the solar system and it will also provide access to the lunar surface for robotic missions uh, but also but it, when it does it'll also have the ability to return to earth if needed that would be in a matter of days rather than weeks or months. So, NASA's Gateway will have two phases. Phase 1 will use current technologies and allow us to gain experience with extended operations farther from Earth than previously completed, and these missions enable NASA to develop new techniques and apply innovative approaches to solving problems in preparation for longer-duration missions from Earth. And Phase 2 will confirm NASA's capabilities built for humans uh, that can perform long-duration missions beyond the moon. And for those destinations farther into the solar system, including Mars, NASA envisions uh, a deep space transport spacecraft. And so today we will go into detail about this gateway with Nicole Herman and Ben Bussey, both from NASA headquarters. And let me pull them up. So welcome, guys. Welcome to our little hangout here.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Okay, now I have it set up. We have it set up slightly different here today. Uh, both NASA, I'm sorry, both Nicole, both NASA and, and Nicole, uh, and NASA Nicole is and as well as uh, Ben are both in the same shot. and They're down below. Uh, Nicole's on the right, or on, I'm sorry, on my on my left, and Ben is on the right. So, hi guys, welcome, and also my co-host right next to me, Dr. Harley Thronson from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, who's going to introduce these Hangouts to us. Hi, Harley, and welcome.
2: Wait. Hi, good afternoon, or whatever time people are are watching. Good to have you here. And for many of the folks in the audience, you are going to hear a great deal about this for the first time, although this is a capability, the gateway is a capability that NASA have, various folks have been speculating on advocating for almost two decades. But just as as Tony said, uh, um, beginning about two years ago, um, NASA strategic planning folks, some of whom we're going to be talking with you all today, uh, began to take this or um, took this challenge very seriously and have started to put investment design for they um, industry has become involved in it. So this is a very exciting next step into space, which our two guests, Nicole and Ben will be talking about. So they're queued up. They yeah. are ready to go. So let's hand it off to them. And, and also we asked them each to give a little bit of a uh, personal professional bio to begin.
0: All right, go ahead. You want to start with that guys? And then we'll start with your slides.
1: Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, So I'm Nicole Herman. Uh, Right now I'm serving as the gateway integration manager uh, at NASA headquarters, which is kind of a silly NASA way of saying chief of staff for gateway. Uh, I've been at headquarters for about 11 years. I started as an intern and uh, have been supporting over the years uh, exploration architecture activities and development and strategic planning work. Um, I recently uh, completed a master's in systems engineering at George Washington University, um, and I'm very excited to talk to you all today.
3: Hi, and um, I'm um, I'm Ben Bussi. I'm the chief exploration scientist in NASA's um, POMD, and one of my roles is to think about the the science utilization of the gateways. We'll, we'll talk about. And my background is is lunar science. I have a PhD in planetary geology. Um, Before coming to headquarters, I was the uh, principal investigator of the mini RF radar currently flying around the moon on NASA's lunar reconnaissance orbiter.
0: All right, great. Well, my understanding is you guys kind of put together a little story for us to tell with this uh, gateway project. So I'll let you go through your story, and then we will ask questions. And I'm looking, by the way, already seeing a lot of them uh, here. Uh, so I'll just keep I'll keep those queued up questions. Keep your questions coming, and I will get to them as soon as they uh, finish their little thing here. Okay, whenever okay, you're ready. Good. I've got the first uh, slide that you sent uh, queued up and, and ready to go.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, and feel free to jump in with any questions if you if you feel like um it makes sense okay um so if you want to go to slide two with the space policy directive one okay got it okay so um i think as many of you know uh back in december 2017 the administration released their space policy directive one which states that nasa should lead an innovative or the u.s should lead an innovative and sustainable program of exploration with commercial and international partners to enable the human exploration across the solar system um, and then the beginning with uh, missions in Leo The United States is going to lead the human return to the moon for long-term exploration and utilization in deep space um, So followed by missions to Mars and other destinations and so essentially the goal of the of space policy directive one is to have the u.s Lead the global effort to expand human beyond Leo Next slide. hmm Okay. And so uh, NASA is executing this exploration campaign strategy kind of in an incremental and phased approach. And so this starts from progression of activities in low Earth orbit on the space station as well as with our commercial partners in LEO. And so uh, gaining that operational experience, extending uh, mission durations in LEO, and then advancing those systems and operational capabilities into cislunar space and then ultimately onto the lunar surface. Um, And then also gradually transitioning towards missions beyond the earth moon system as our capabilities our expertise our systems We build our infrastructure and as we become more confident in our operational capability in deep space Mm -hmm. and So NASA and human spaceflight has been in organizing and kind of governing Um, It's exploration work around these what we call key strategic principles, Um, folks that have seen presentations and some of our senior leadership and and public speakers before have seen these key strategic principles that we, um, you know, we try to scope the work that NASA is doing within these principles to make sure that what we're building and working toward is, is a sustainable exploration program. Um, And so we we use our development activities and mission planning to to make sure that they're aligned and and guided by the principles. I won't walk through all of them, um, but I think what's kind of helpful for this discussion is to use those kind of in the context of how we're developing and building the Gateway. So for example, uh, fiscal realism is supposed to convey that anything that we do should be implementable within the buying power of current budgets. And so um, as that relates to Gateway, you know, we need to make sure that all plans for implementation fit within our current budget horizon, but that we're also seeking partnerships, domestic and international, um, to, to offset some costs for development and to also make sure that we're being fiscally responsible. Um, scientific, scientific exploration, for instance, um, as it relates to gateway, as we're developing the gateway, you know, we want to actively seek input from our broader science community, and Ben will talk a little bit more about that later. Um, you know, on how we can utilize the gateway to enable new science, new exploration, but also make sure at the same time that we're we're building those types of requirements into the gateway system as we develop. Um, another example, global collaboration and leadership. Um, so in addition to our US commercial partners that we are working with to develop concepts for the gateway, we're also actively working with the international community and our ISS partners to evaluate different approaches for implementation and different configurations um, and looking at international capabilities that can be used for a buildup of the gateway in cislunar space. Um, and then finally, another example, continuity of human space So we wanna make sure that we, uh, at, over the next few years, while we're advancing our exploration systems testing on the space station, and we continue to conduct important research. You know. And and it's a real foodie festival. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Hi, are you guys seeing what we're seeing? We're
3: what's yeah. that?
1: Oh, it is? It's your sister. It's Ben's sister. <laughs>
3: Well, I that's may what, have sent the wrong link. That's are you,
1: I leave?
3: Joey, you need to mute.
1: Also,
2: she may need, she linked in via the...
0: What happened? Oh, look at that. I sent the wrong link. <laughs>
3: so somebody, somebody's actually joined that.
0: Yeah, that's the link you joined. There we go. There we are. Okay. My fault. Okay. <laughs>
3: Live TV. Yeah, the, the um, YouTube
0: link is the one you want to
3: share.
0: <laughs> she actually joined the hangout. So, um, okay, so we are back. So I had the um, the we're still uh, on the principles. Strategic, <laughs> strategic principles. Right there, yeah. you go. I had also gotten us a little bit ahead, but a little never little mind.
1: Icebreaker. Um, so yeah, so continuity of human spaceflight. It's it's important that while we are, um, you know, we're advancing toward the for- first exploration missions, the first launches of SLS and Orion, that we're continuing. Um, A strong presence in LEO that we, um, you know, that we continue to advance our exploration systems testing on space issue where it makes sense. um, And continue, you know, a regular cadence of missions in LEO as well as this lunar space. Next slide. Okay, right. So the gateway um, configuration with all the colors. So over the last few years, um, there have been uh, several analysis cycles ongoing with, um, within NASA with our domestic partners, with our international partners. And through those analysis cycles, we've been able to tease out some of the, the best concepts um, for gateway implementation that meet, um, you know, strategic objectives, NASA goals, U.S. objectives, meet our policies. And, and the configuration that we um, have baseline and that we're currently working toward is the one that you're seeing on the screen. And so I'm just going to start from left to right and walk through each uh, module of the gateway and and what its role is uh, in the system. So the first element on the left, that's the power and propulsion element. So the PPE um, is the power and propulsion. It provides transportation for the gateway uh, in between cislinar orbits, and then it also provides the ability to perform orbital maintenance. Um, It'll provide attitude control for the gateway, um, and it'll also provide communications to and from Earth space-to-space communications, space-to-lunar communications, and it can also support Astronaut EVACom. Um, and it'll also deliver some of the systems that are necessary for deep space navigation as well as docking and refueling. The next module is the European, it's, a, it's called ESPRI, that's an acronym, for European System Providing Refueling Infrastructure and Tele- Telecommunications. Um, and so that's a structure that um, has a lot of different functions. It, is a, it serves as a science airlock to facilitate experiments in deep space, but it's also gonna have some augmented communications capabilities, some fuel storage and refueling capability for the gateway. Um, And it'll also have uh, external payload capacity. The next um, module is what we're calling the US utilization module. And so this is a small pressurized volume that will be launched, uh, integrated with the Esprit, and it'll provide for early utilization of the gateway as early as 2023. Um, And so some of the key functions that the utilization module will have uh, include additional docking ports. It'll have the ability to accommodate internal and external payloads, external robotic interfaces, thermal and power systems. Uh, So a lot of additional habitation capability. Um, And then next you'll see we have two two habitable volumes. And so we have two habitation elements. Um, The first one in the stack is the uh, one that's going to be internationally provided. And so, like I said, we've been working with our international and domestic partners. And so um, our international partners would like to work with us on developing one of the habitat modules. And so uh, with that, in addition to the the blue habitat module that looks like it's half hard structure and the other half um, expandable, that's because we're still working with our industry to determine, um, you know, which implementation of the habitat and the structures um, will we'll go with for the configuration, but across those two habitation modules, we'll have the the functional uh, capability and it'll be distributed across those as well as the utilization element to support kind of full crew and life support needs. Um, And then we have logistics modules. And so logistics modules, those will deliver um, crew consumables and cargo resupply, and it'll enable extended mission durations, Um, could provide additional science utilization, Uh, technology demonstration capabilities, um, and then other types of outfitting and supplies that might be necessary for uh, missions, extending the longer missions in cislunar space. Um, So the cadence of that will really just be determined and driven by mission needs. Um, Then we have a robotic arm. You'll see I think that is uh, F. And so this provides the functionality of deploying and retrieving payloads, uh, birthing robotic spacecraft, and then it'll also be able to provide the gateway with contingency maintenance, maintenance, and also um, crew translation if necessary. And then finally, we have um, an airlock module. And so uh, the airlock will provide the gateway ultimately with the capability to enable EVAs, um, as well as the ability to have additional docking elements, additional refueling, observation ports, and then science utilization as well. And then you'll see also the Orion um, as the the vehicle that will be delivering the crew to the gateway initially. And so that will dock um, on the end of the, the gateway to provide the crew. And, and then also, oh, sorry go ahead
0: yeah i was gonna say you got a nice little comparison there in the lower right
1: yeah yeah and so that's that we put that in there too because i think that there was a, a misconception i think or sometimes you know we get the question are we just building another space station around the moon um and so as you see it's a much smaller um capability it's a smaller system and so you know we're really we're trying to build up the infrastructure like we said um you know, when we started and what you mentioned in the intro that we want to build this operational capability um, and not not deploy the, uh, a permanently crewed station. So the, um, the gateway will be primarily uncrewed and primarily an autonomous um, system. And initially the crew will only be there um, for 30 days uh, once per year as we build up that crew time and the crew stays.
0: Well, on this topic, let me go ahead and get Dan he- uh, Heiberg's uh, comment in here, a question in here, because I think it's relevant to this slide. He's, saying, mm-hmm. he's uh, asking, could you, couldn't you, could you just relocate the space station to the moon? It might be cheaper than building a whole new station. Is that, is that possible?
1: Um, so orbital mechanics is not my specialty. Um, but I go ahead. So
3: there's two reasons. We actually get that question quite a lot. Mm. Um, there's two main answers why that's not the the right thing to do. Um, the first is Nicole said is it actually takes a lot of energy um, to get to actually move the station to the moon from the Earth. But that probably isn't the best answer. The best answer is the moon. You know. The, the space station is in a particular thermal environment. You know, it goes around the Earth every 90 minutes. It spends 45 minutes where it sees the sun, followed by 45 minutes where it's in shadow. Um, to try and put it around the Moon, you would you would have to design the thermal system, you know, totally differently. Um, so the thermal design is one reason. Just it would be. It also um, a lot of mass that you'd you'd have to move to the Moon. Uh, and then the third point is, as Nicole showed um, on the on on the third slide, we still have things useful things that we're doing on station, and, and that we want to continue to do in low Earth orbit. So we we want station there to do these valuable things. So this is this
0: is in conjunction or are concurrent with the ISS, then. Yes. 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 Oh, okay. Correct.
1: And another another point, we want to gain the expertise and the operational um, capabilities to build up. Um, the space infrastructure and so so gaining that expertise uh, rendezvous and docking and, and those types of capabilities that you want to learn how to do in a deep space environment are things that we are using the gateway for
3: as well and that's a good extra point so that you know the space station is protected by the van allen belt from a radiation environment you need um, you would need a different design as the gateway will have around the moon where you're where you're in deep space it's a it's a very um, very different space environment
0: Okay, and while we're on a couple of questions, let me get Larry Kieses in. He's asking uh, Do any of these modules provide 1G?
3: No, no, they're all, it's all essentially microgravity. Yeah. Right now, there aren't any plans for a whole module to provide any form of fractional gravity. You can imagine that that might be an experiment within one of the modules that the life sciences folks would like to do. But there, but there isn't, if you like, a a fractional G one G module.
0: Okay. Uh, do you want to pick up where we left off here? I uh, I think we yeah, got sure. okay. So the last one I showed wasn't the, was that gateway in oh. the upper left?
1: Yeah, we can go on to slide six. We can okay. probably. Um, so that's just a quick. Uh, the power and propulsion element, as I mentioned, was gonna is going to be the first uh, element launched for the gateway, and so that will be launched in 2022 um, on a commercially provided vehicle. Um, and I think I covered most of the capabilities of that. So we can actually go on to the next okay. five steps, the development partnerships.
0: Uh-huh. That's up.
1: So um, over the last few years, as I mentioned, we've been investigating various implementation approaches uh, and development approaches with U.S. industry partners um, through our next step uh, habitation development activity. And we've also, as I mentioned, began initial discussions with our ISS partners as well. Um, But as it relates to Next Step, in 2015 and 2016, uh, in Phase 1 of this activity, NASA began looking at how to leverage commercial partnerships um, to look at how we could enable habitation needs from LEO all the way through um, uh, development and testing of a Mars-class habitation system. And so we are now, in 2018, in the Phase 2 of Next Step, uh, and in this phase, NASA selected six companies to move uh, from phase one and continue their concept refinement for a cislunar gateway. Um, But also in phase two, the companies were asked to develop ground prototype modules by the end of phase two um, for ground testing. And so we envision that those ground prototype uh, testing uh, to begin in early 2019, so we'll start receiving some of our uh, habitat prototypes from the partners you'll see on the screen here. Um, And so we have Lockheed Martin who's gonna be doing their testing um, at Kennedy Space Center and they're looking at refurbishing um, their heritage hardware from um, um, uh, the space station. Uh, Orbital now Northrop um, is using their capabilities and and, um, uh, with their uh, cargo activities and they'll be uh, doing their their habitat prototype testing at Johnson Space Center. Bigelow Aerospace is looking at expandable habitats, um, and they're going to be doing their testing in Vegas at their facility. Um, and let me just point
0: the- out, I, I just want to interrupt you, Nicole, and point sure. out to Raj Luthra, he had a question. Will there be a Bigelow expandable habitat module used on the Gateway? And there you go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah. So I just wanted to point question. that out to him.
1: No, that's a great question. So one of on the, um, the slide that we showed with the Gateway configuration with all the colors, the domestic habitat... Um, it was split. It kind of looked like, you know, we call it a Frankenhab. hab um, Half of it looked like a hard structure and, and half of it looked like a, an expandable habitat. That's because, um, as you see here, we've got six partners that are investigating various implementation approaches for what the habitat structure could look like. And so we have not, um, we have not gotten far enough in our, um, in our uh, Analysis to determine which configuration we'll ultimately use for implementation, but it's being considered as part of our next step um, activities. Cool. Um, and then, so Boeing will be testing their prototype at Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville. And then we also have Sierra Nevada, um, who will be testing at Johnson Space Center as well. And then also NanoRacks, which is looking at um, converted uh, upper stages, uh, and they'll be testing at Marshall Space Flight Center as well.
0: Let me just point out, I lived many, many years in Louisville, Colorado, and I had no idea that the, yeah. there must be brand new uh, businesses there. I mean, they're just really? down the road from uh, Ball Aerospace in Boulder. So that's cool. louisville right. Louis, It's not Louisville, folks. It's Louisville. I know. You've got to live there to know. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay,
1: so I'm going to toss it over to Ben. Um,
0: okay. Go
3: and I've got a few sites now to talk about what we're thinking about regarding um, science utilisation for the Gateway. And if we go to slide eight, the question that comes up a lot is the um, what orbit will the Gateway be in? And this will be in something called a, a near rectilinear halo orbit, which is an elliptical orbit where perilune, or the closest approach to the Moon, will be over one of the poles, and we can pick which pole, and it'll be about 1500 kilometres over the pole. And then at um, moon, the furthest distance, will be over the other pole, And that will be about 70,000 kilometers. And this is an orbit that's been picked. Um, It it, it facilitates access. There are different launch vehicles that can can reach this orbit. Um, It's a proper deep space environment. We're looking at how this orbit can help um, surface operations for the moon. It provides constant communication for the Earth. um, And we think the opportunity to do some good science. Then, the next one, slide nine. This um, this chart kind of summarizes how the gateway will be used. So I guess some key facts is, uh, again, to come back to the comparison with space station. You know, station has been permanently occupied by a crew for many years now. People should think of the gateway more as an untended platform that is crewed occasionally. And initially, we're thinking of a crew of four, visiting the gateway once a year for anywhere in the 30 to 90 day range. And then for the rest of that time, the gateway will be uncrewed. And so from a science utilization perspective, there'll be experiments that you you, you need the crew there to interact with, but also most of the time, you're just going to um, have science experiments either bolted onto the outside doing remote sensing um, um, or, or inside. Um, the, the Gateway can also provide communications relay to, to CubeSats in the area, or, or lunar CubeSats, or even to landers on the, on the, on the lunar surface. So it, it actually opens up um, a communication capability for far-side landers on the side of the Moon that we can't see. Um, also, the, the Gateway, we're looking at how it can be used as a sample return facility. So if, if there are robotic missions sending samples back from the Moon, Mars, or asteroids, they would have the option just to to come to the gateway and then return home with Orion. Um, So I'm actually, because we've, um, I'd like to jump forward a couple of slides now to number 11, and we're gonna talk very briefly about a a workshop that we held in Colorado, uh, clearly everything happens in Colorado. Um, (laughs) um, Back in February, and this was a a workshop where we wanted to engage the science community um, um, to 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 introduce the gateway to them in in such a way that they could really start to think about what science might they be able to use it for. And the important part is we, we we wasn't just sort of lunar and planetary scientists that were invited. Um, We, we invited, there was the earth scientists, the heliophysics, astrophysics, fundamental physics, life sciences, um, a broader community as we could reach. um, And they, we had roughly 300 people attend. um, And and the, the real goal was to, to understand what science they would like to do and and to understand what would the gateway have to provide to help them to do that science. And if you go to slide 12, this just sort of summarizes the fact that we had, um, we've well attended uh, a mixture of of academia, government, industry, and international. Uh, We did refer to lessons learned from utilization on station and then focused on how the gateway is different and the unique science that it would um, enable. And perhaps the last slide we'll, we'll cover today will be the top science takeaway, slide 13. And so, based on this three-day workshop, um, what we determined was that the gateway in the near-rectilinear halo orbit does offer unique opportunities for some Earth heliophysics, astrophysics, and fundamental physics investigations. Um, To get really good lunar science, um, you're probably going to need additional transportation infrastructure. There was a lot of good lunar science that would like to be in low lunar orbit, not NRHO or access to surface, and so we're already looking at how we might be able to provide some form of reusable tug that could go from the gateway's orbit down to low lunar orbit and back. Uh, There was interest from the sample community who would like to mount sample collection material um, Sort of a bit like the Stardust and Genesis missions onto the outside of the Gateway to collect a wide variety of, of different materials, including cometary, solar wind, interstellar particles, etc. Um, the fact that the Gateway is outside the Van Allen belts and is in a true deep space radiation environment uh, makes it would make it a unique platform for the life science um, scientists to conduct experiments. Um, and with that, we'll, perhaps we'll stop with the slide about halfway through your time, and then. Um, we'll go with um, the questions that you
0: you have. All right, good. And I do want to I want to talk a little bit when we get through, through some of the questions about these different phases that you've got. Um, so uh, maybe we can hit that in a minute. But let me get to a couple of questions. So uh, let's see. Um, uh, upcycle Electronics, how will the Gateway manage life support on a periodic schedule? You mentioned that these will be from 30- to 90-day missions. Uh, every other time it's going to be empty. Uh, will visitors bring life support for each mission?
1: So the Gateway will have regular um, logistics resupply missions, and that, like I said, would be driven by the timing of those crewed missions on once per year. And so when the crew is also delivered each year, they will bring additional um, logistics with them. Each of the, the habitats um, and the utilization module will have life support capabilities to support those missions. Orion will also augment those life support capabilities. Um, in terms of, you know, the system dormancy, a lot of the work that's going on uh, today in terms of developing you know, our, our lower level requirements and conops is looking at dormancy and, and how do we manage that on the gateway and how do we implement that. Um, we're still early in our uh, analysis and requirements and, and concept development and so a lot of that is still in work, but um, it's definitely a priority for the development.
0: Okay, let me get to Raj. You're asking some good questions here. Raj Luthra is asking, uh, first of all, what type of solar electric propulsion will be used on the gateway?
3: Um, so if, if you want to go to um, back, we have a um, had a chart on the power propulsion element, the the, the first element. Um, not quite sure what you mean by you, do they want to know exactly what fuel it is um, or exactly what they're after. But it's you know it's a lot it's a very large solar electro propulsion um, sort of fifty kilowatt class. Um, it's actually a derivative of what we were thinking of using for the asteroid redirect mission, um, and it you know it's... It's a xenon propulsion system, um, and it has a 15-year um, lifespan. It, slide 6 has quite a few of the details on it. It's the core part of the propulsion system of the power and propulsion element.
0: Okay, I have it up now. Um, 2022 launch, 50-kilowatt-class spacecraft with 40-kilowatt-class electric propulsion system. Um, so there you go, Raj. Um
2: well, was he asking about the particular EP technology?
0: Well, there's a follow-up question. Is there any opportunity for Ad Astra rocket company to use their VASIMIR uh, on the gateway?
3: So um, I think right now that might be one of the examples the, the short answer to that is is no. I mean the the solar electric propulsion system that we have for the PPE, it has two has two main goals. It, first of all, it, it it gets the this element to the moon but then it also provides long duration power for all the modules. It also has the capability that it can move the entire gateway to different lunar orbits such as the Earth-Moon L2 Lagrangian point. But right now, no, there aren't any plans to, to send different kinds of propulsion systems to the gateway to test it. Okay. But all...
1: And I was just gonna add, um, the same way that we're working with our US industry on the habitation uh, implementation, approach for Gateway. We've also been um, utilizing Next Step to engage our industry partners for their concepts for the power and propulsion element. And so um, that will be something that we'll be uh, able to have more specifics on within the next six months or so.
0: Okay. What about refueling spacecraft? Did you guys touch on that? Will there be any, will it be used in any way to refuel spacecraft on like, for example, on the way to Mars?
1: So the Gateway will have the capability to be refueled. Um, but the gateway itself will not be a refueling infrastructure for any deep space habitat, um, at least in, in concepts like, that we had looked at previously. Unless, Ben, you have other um, knowledge. Um, but yeah, so no, <laughs> it will not have <laughs> ability to refuel other spacecraft.
0: All right. Well, <laughs> OK, Larry Keys, have um, any of the microgravity growing food in space missions been booked yet?
3: Certainly that's one of the items that the life science scientists are interested about. Um, is and that one of the things that's discussed at the workshop is is if, how does the deep space radiation environment affect the nutrition value of foods and all and similarly the medicinal value of, of, of drugs, such that you know, if you if if, if you've got a, a Mars duration mission, you want to check that the astronauts are going to be getting the right Nutrition that you planned on Earth and it doesn't degrade over time, so that's a that is a good example of some of the experiments we envision um, could be conducted on the Gateway.
1: No bookings yet, though the answer. Yeah. <laughs>
3: and,
2: and Tony, I've got a I've got a question. Now, this is an excellent segue to a question I've got, or a two-part question that I've got. Uh, so I don't know if, if either Nicole or Ben mentioned this. According to current plans, this is part one A. According to current plans, <laughs> when do you when does NASA expect the gateway to be up and its first crew there and then 1b um, over years say a, a decade of operations at the gateway is the expectation that the length of time that the gateway will be crewed will increase with time to more over time duplicate the length of time of a mars mission sure
1: um, so the first element of the gateway will be launched in 2022 That's the power and propulsion element. And then following the power and propulsion element, we'll have that utilization module as well as the esprit. So those will be launched together um, in a single launch package. And those will provide the early uh, crew capabilities as early as 2023 um, in terms of actual, that, that will provide with the Orion initial 30-day missions for crew. And then as we continue to launch uh, more habitation capability with the first uh, habitation module, we'll be able to expand that beyond 30 days. Um, but what we're looking at for the gateways is primarily uh, crew stays ranging from that 30-day initial up through um, 90 days. And so as we increase our capabilities, increase the amount of logistics that we have available to the crew, we'll be able to increase the crew duration and the crew time. As far as uh, Mars uh, mission durations, right now that's not in our current uh, plans for the Gateway itself. It's just meant to be a short-term, short-duration life support system and life support stays. And so, um, no.
0: So can I show this slide you you sent on NASA exploration campaign? This has a timeline on it.
2: So a have have to note for the audience as i mentioned earlier i don't see the slides so that the schedule may have been on the, the schedule may have been on the slides no no so it
0: wasn't I'm, yet i haven't shown it yet uh, uh, well, i still it.
2: haven't seen the slides so still it's the
0: number number 21 is what you've got here can okay I, can i put that up yes yeah, sure okay good so i'm showing it now and on it you have uh, the top is listed as notional launches and then you've got all of these different head head uh, uh, lines or uh, highlights Uh, Maybe you could explain this slide for us a little bit.
1: Do you want want me to take it?
3: Okay,
1: Um, so at a a top level, um, so as an implementation of the space policy that we have, um, you know, expanding human presence again beyond LEO back to to the lunar surface and exploring on the moon, uh, NASA is is implementing kind of a cross-cutting exploration campaign working across the agency with our science mission directorate and our uh, space technology mission directorate to gradually advance our um, capabilities with uh, small lunar landers and then increasing that capability through various um, public solicitations, working with private industry, working with partners to increase that capability, increase the the payload um, capability and size and lunar surface activity. Ben, you
3: yeah. yeah. So in the short term, you know, I think we're in for um, a quite interesting few years. You'll see people are going to see lots of of, of progress. So um, we're looking at the something we refer to as as clips, commercial lunar payload services, um, and that's going to be using small commercial providers to put instruments onto the lunar surface to do science and take key data. The idea there is NASA isn't going to be the only customer for these. Landers, we'll be, you know, we might be a significant customer, an anchor customer, but not the only one. And we're trying to grow that um, that capability for that industry. And then, so, uh, and that's being led by the science mission directorate. Whereas the human mission directorate, um, we're concentrating on um, larger landers initially in the five hundred to thousand kilogram um, capability in roughly twenty twenty two, and then growing that uh, and so that it's scalable for for human landers. To the lunar surface later in the 2020s and then you see at the bottom on this chart um, also additionally to this we have the gateway uh, with iran and sls and the, and the deep space experience that that will give us
0: and this uh the last slide you said this path to the lunar surface this is sort of embedded into the overall uh campaign here this is just uh the part uh, from 2018 through 2026 that's going to get us through to the moon can i put that up Yes. Okay, it's up now. And uh, maybe this is, so you've got, uh, we've got things going back from 2009 with LRO and then Artemis in 2010. Uh, we got Orion uh, debuting in 2020. Uh, and then 20, well, I'll just let you go ahead and, and talk about this a little bit.
3: This is sort of what I just said, but with better graphics. Right, yeah. that's, why,
0: that's why I wanted to put it up. <laughs> a different
1: visualization of the same graphics. <laughs> but if,
3: but if, you're, if, you're, if the audience are interested in um, in the Orion, you might well like to pull up slides 18, 19, and 20, which describe the first Orion missions. And slide 18 has something called Exploration Mission 1 or EM-1. This is uncrewed um, <laughs> Orion mission that will go into lunar orbit and, and come back, and it's roughly a one month mission. Um, we're gonna take advantage of this on, on, on slide 19, and we're actually flying 13 CubeSats that will be released um, en route to the moon during EM-1. And then, and then the first crewed Orion SLS mission um, is EM-2, which will do a loop around the far side of the moon and come back, and that's roughly a nine day mission. Okay, and and you
0: are relying. I think I don't. I think you might have mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to reiterate. You are relying on the Orion uh, module for the human uh, uh, crew capsule, and then there's the SLS is the launch system you're going to use, right? That is correct. Okay, so this is all built with that with that in mind. Okay, let me. All right, so um, uh, there is. Um, let's see i was we talked about refueling it's not going to be used for refueling um and the science that's going among the science that's going to be done because this is happening outside of the uh van allen belts as you point out the uh the we really don't have any experience with long duration uh exposure to space uh, other than what's on the space station correct we don't i mean that other than when we went to the moon in the 60s and 70s this is a uh, this is a brand new area for us isn't it as far as experience goes
3: yes that's right i mean the apollo missions are are the, are the only deep space human exploration um, experience that we have we obviously have a lot of good robotic experience but if you're talking about human exploration then then yes absolutely
1: that's like a good kind of the secondary payloads. Some of the the payloads that we have on EM one have biological payloads, and so we're using EM one to kind of to deploy those cubesats, test the deep space environment on some biological payloads, and and get those early results so that we can use those to inform the crew missions that are following.
0: And when you say biological payloads, what do you mean?
1: So one of the cubesats. <coughs> Uh, BioSentinel will have active yeast cultures, um, and so it'll be the first time that a biological sample has traveled beyond Leo since um, since Apollo. And so uh, there'll be one on the SLS, so it'll be one of the cubesats there, and then we'll have the control experiment um, on Earth, and that'll be sending data back for us on the how the the, um, the DNA responds to the deep space environment.
0: Okay, one plot. You're asking a question I don't understand. What is the maximum level of connections? that the gateway can have. Oh, I get it. Okay. So you've got this thing designed as a module, a little, little, different connectors. So how big yeah. can this thing get?
1: So right now our configuration is what you see on slide five. Um, and, and just in terms on, of the, the attitude control and the mass controls of the gateway, this is what we are working toward. And, and that's how we're sizing the power and propulsion element to be able to, to perform orbit transfers on a gateway of this size. If we wanted to increase the size of the gateway, we would probably need to, make some uh, adjustments to the PPE, which at this point, kind of in where we are with um, acquisitions and and looking to buying and building a PPE is not really going to be possible.
3: And that also comes back to the refueling option. If you wanted to add a refueling option to that, a lunar lander by comparison is quite large compared, so it would um, have quite an effect on the attitude control. So if we wanted to add a refueling capability, it has more ramifications than just a A module with some fuel bladder on it
2: and that brings up a question that I'd like to ask another question Um, human lunar landing which of course is a uh, is a really attractive capability out of um, the gateway so what's the current thinking about or opportunities working with American industry or with potential foreign partners international partners and so on about uh, using the gateway to stage human lunar surface
3: missions so that is something that's being looked at right now about how exactly um, the gateway is beneficial to humans to the lunar surface. I mean, there's various examples that um, initial thinking that's gone in to do, you know, you could do things like send the descent stage down first to lunar orbit. Um, then you, then the crew could leave the gateway in the smaller ascent stage, go down to low lunar orbit, dock with it, the, and they would have the gateway there as a safe haven um, much closer than the Earth if they had a problem, so we are looking at how exactly um, the gateway feeds into the lunar surface transportation architecture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, upcycle Electronics has a good question. Let me. Uh, get, this one has to do with the international aspect of this uh, of this uh, program. The uh, NASA I know is, is always got a lot of international collaborators on a lot of things that it does. But will? But Upcycle Electronics is asking, will other countries? Uh, currently excluded from the ISS, be able to participate in the Gateway mission?
1: Absolutely. And so uh, where we are right now with our international partner uh, collaboration, so so our partners on the International Space Station, that was a natural pathway for us to explore, um, ha- you know, with the, the operational experience that our ISS partners have in building habitation capabilities, construction, constructing large in-space systems with the ISS. Um, we worked with our ISS partners to understand what kinds of configurations and concepts that they working all together collaboratively, how we could build a gateway um, with, those, with those agencies and with those partners. Um, that being said, we are open to, uh, the, and there will be on-ramps for other interested partners, um, other agencies to collaborate and to join on the gateway. A lot of the work um, that, that uh, Ben and, and the utilization and science community has been doing for the gateway is, is working with um, non, also nine ISS partners to, to talk about um, through the science workshop about additional payloads, experiments, um, and different systems that could be used on a future gateway.
0: Okay, now I don't, I I've, I lost your question, Peter Q, but I remember it as it scrolled by and I, he wants to know about the, is there going to, oh, here it is. Uh, is there, uh, there going to be a new Canada arm? And and, and, and to follow up, how did Canada, Canada get to be the arm expert? Did they, did they just, did they always, they, did they go into this thinking, you know what? We're going to corner the robotic arm did. business. Did. And almost they did. Exactly, that's almost exactly now, if right. you want a robotic arm, you got to go to Canada. It's like a monopoly. But anyway, are you going to get a new one for this? So you'll see
1: on slide five that our our baseline configuration right now does show a robotic arm. Um, And, you know, we're talking with our partners, we're talking with industry, um, trying to understand the the best way to design um, that that arm. Um, Right now, you'll see that is going to, as we show, it's the pink color on the graphic. So we're looking to have that be an internationally provided element. Um, And so, you know, we found that that has great utility for a future gateway in terms of um, birthing modules, assisting with science experiments and payloads, and, and also supporting EBAs.
2: Okay. Ben may, ben may know this better than I, Ben, but I believe uh, five, six, seven years ago, the Canadian Space Agency formally established uh, space robotic arms as a priority for the nation. Of course, and then they had to identify the industrial partner. We know who that is, and so on. But they set uh, robotic arms and robotic capabilities as a national priority for space exploration. Am I remembering that right?
3: Yes, I think you are. Because as people will know they provided the arms for shuttle and station, and so they have a very, um, a lot of very good expertise in that area. So I think you are correct.
0: Okay, Asciano Vitale, you asked the question I was coming to next. Will it have any telescopes? on it oh i know the answer
3: (laughs) so yes so um one of the um one of the outcomes of our our workshop was to think about what science would you would be enabled by the gateway and in fact there was a lot of uh, a lot of interest from a whole like earth scientists, heliophysicists, um astrophysics yes a lot of interest in externally mounted um cameras looking in all sorts of directions so most people don't Automatically think of sort of a gateway around the moon as a good place to do Earth science, and we were really pleasantly surprised by the response from that science community. Um, they really liked the fact that you can look at the full disc Earth um, from 400,000 kilometres away and see how things change over all phases. So just like you see new moon and full moon on from Earth, you see you see a new Earth and full Earth from the moon, and that allows you um, to to investigate. Uh, do science investigations uh, even the exoplanet community were were interested because one thing to to do is to have a camera on the gateway that how do you actually determine that earth has life on it you could do things like glint off the ocean corality measurements of forests but the idea is having an instrument on the gateway determining if you reduce the earth to one pixel how do you know there's life there that could help potentially with developing the next generation of of exoplanet cameras and and finally, the, the heliophysicists were, were interested in, um, in taking measurements from the Gateway of the Sun because it's, it's about a quarter of the distance to the Discover satellite, and there they was definite interest in, in science that you would do from, the, from that distance. So, yes, yeah, I suspect there'll be a lot of telescopes um, on the outside of the Gateway covering a wide variety of the electromagnetic spectrum.
0: That's an interesting idea with the exoplanets, because of course you'd want to get some sense of what Earth might look like as an exoplanet from a distance. And so this would be a good way where you could get the reflectances of the different kinds of vegetation and things like that from slightly far away. It would also be a good thing to do from the L2 point, but that's a different topic. Um, So let's see. Uh Adam Synergy sounds like the astronauts will be busy throwing cubesats out the airlock. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um Susan Hunter, they did but they did mention the Bigelow, uh the Bigelow expandable modules, and that is a part of the plan. We talked about that earlier on. Uh so yes, that is um that is part of it as well. Um well, you,
3: just to be clear, it's a it's a possible it, but it's
0: it's so- one of the investigations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking, we're still um uh, working with our R6 partners under Next Step to determine um, how we will implement.
0: Okay, that. well, that's, that brings me to the point I want to bring up now before we leave, and that is that is this this is a serious thing NASA is going to do, or are you just planning on seeing what's possible and what we can maybe get some companies to do and what it would look like if we could do it? In other words, is this a uh, an actual funded thing that NASA is going to do? This
1: is, this is a serious thing that we're doing. Um, uh, the power and propulsion element, like we mentioned, um, the draft uh, request for proposals went out this summer, and the final solicitation for that procurement will go out this fall for the U.S. companies. And we will begin um, the procurement and building that uh, next in 2019. So that will be launched in 2022. So the first element of the gateway is, is the real deal.
3: Only four years away. Yeah. Awesome. And when will you select the... Um
2: the industrial winner?
1: So that's a great question. Um, So we're using Next Step, not necessarily to down select to one company and select their concept for implementation for the gateway. Um, As you mentioned, so the gateway you saw with all the colors and the different modules, um, the implementation of gateway is gonna have multiple providers. And so we'll have a a domestic provider for that PPE, which will be selected through the solicitation process. for the uh, you know, the robotic arm and one of the habitation modules and um, the Esprit that will be internationally provided. And so what we have our domestic partners looking at right now is, is uh, investigating concepts, not just for a single module on the gateway, but for a full up, what is their configuration and concept for a gateway? And so what we're going to do through those ground tests and through those prototypes is evaluate each of those gateway configurations and kind of tease out Um, You know what? What implementation approach, or uh, what company's implementation of a particular subsystem, um, or a structure, or uh, a configuration inside the habitat makes the most sense for meeting our what the requirements and and concept of operations that we're defining on the NASA side for what we think a gateway should be able to do. And so, um, I think what you'll see in the next couple of years is is not necessarily a winner or a down select of one. Um, provider of a gateway and, and a, a building of that, but a selection of, um, you know, a, a lead for, for the U.S. habitat, um, a lead for a particular subsystem or, or element or module. Um, but there won't be one company or or agency that provides all of it.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, with, um, oh, I just lost the question I was going to ask. What is the okay? One, pl- uh, one plot has uh, commented he is going to uh, corner the space knob space doorknob market. You go you go right ahead, uh, one plot. You <laughs> you do that, and uh, who knows you might you might you might be the next uh, billionaire space billionaire. Um uh, Let's see. Uh, what uh, one plot? What is the life expectancy of the Gateway? Uh, will the life expectancy of the Gateway be affected by the radiation, or can it last like the ISS?
1: So um, each element of the gateway, requirement for each element is that it needs to have a minimum of 15 years of on-orbit, um, on-orbit uh, life, lifetime. And so um, what that means is, you know, as the, there is, so the short answer is no, there is not a, a um, an end date or a lifetime for the full gateway system, but as these elements reach kind of that, that 15-year um, uh, minimum, lifetime requirement, we'll do the same thing um, that's that been done on Space Station 2, you know, what maintenance needs to be performed, analysis of of upgrades or systems that need to be refurbished or refined. Um, you know, we want to always maintain that continuity of human spaceflight, and so I don't think you'll ever see a, a gateway being abandoned in cis lunar space or uh, you know, we want that to be a core part of our deep space infrastructure, and so, you know, we're making sure that the requirements that we're building today will be sustainable to to make sure that we are really and truly building that deep space presence that's sustainable and can can sustain.
0: Oh, Thank good. You. And in a related then follow up question, I'm going to ask Raj Luther's question, which is, uh, once the ISS is retired, uh, what will happen to it? Uh, uh, I suggest moving the ISS to the Lagrange point for a later use, and if not useful, create an area where it can become a museum. So we've already talked about what's going to take to move it. So that's not really going to happen. Getting it to the L2 point, I think, it's like, yeah. Uh, but the to the the basic point of uh, what will happen to the ISS once it's retired. I mean, there was talk about. I believe the Trump administration wants to privatize some of the ISS. Uh, we're gonna. We've got funding, or NASA has funding for a. Uh, up to a certain point and then it doesn't uh what's going to happen to the iss
3: so you know one of the things we've been tasked to do is to look at commercialization how can we right. allow station to be used by by industry um one big you know one thing to remember is you can't just take station to a higher orbit and leave it it takes it's it, it's, it's different technology to the gateway in that it does require a crew to be on board to keep it running so i think a you know, NASA's been given the task to work out how it cannot be the only user of station. And so we are currently looking at how to implement that by the time frame we've been given. Um, even if station were to go away entirely, um, we envision that NASA will always have a need of doing things in low Earth orbit, which was why slide three, you know, talked about a potential future commercial LEO platform.
0: Okay, all right uh and uh let's see larry keys is asking our systems engineer is implying that nasa will be the systems engineer for the space gateway is that true
1: yeah that's correct on um on slide five you'll see that we have you know while we'll have u.s providers international providers um for different elements nasa is going to maintain um, its role as the lead architect and integrator for the gateway
0: okay and um finally i'll just leave uh, Raj Luther's question: uh, Do you have any details on the deep space transport?
1: So the deep space transport um, was or is envisioned to be uh, ultimately the system that that provides the transportations from human uh, for humans from cislunar space to the Mars system. Um, we have, uh, you know, we're refocusing a lot of our activities on how we can, um, you know. Bring humans back to the surface of the Moon. How we can use the Gateway and, and establish that infrastructure so that we can we can um, expand that human presence, implement a lot of the lander activity that we're working with industry and within uh, NASA and our partners on. And so the deep space transport um, has always kind of been uh, a later phase activity, but we you know we're still. Um, we have our eyes on Mars and, and we want to make sure that any, any system or capability that we're building today with gateway or lunar surface systems, that, that we have extensibility of those systems to, to future Mars systems.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, we will, uh, I guess we will stop it there. I want to thank, our, I want to thank our guests, uh, uh, Nicole, uh, Nicole, excuse me, um, Nicole Herman and Ben Bussey from both from NASA HQ talking to us about the, uh, about the, uh, NASA gateway. It's not supposed to be the deep space gateway. It's the NASA gateway. And, uh, with, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up, uh, with, with human space flight in particular with, what NASA's got planning, uh, in the coming, uh, years up leading up into the middle of the next decade. So we'll keep in touch. I hope that you guys might consider coming back and giving us some updates, uh, as things progress and as things get done, uh, because this is awesome. This is, I think a great, uh, great program. And I'm hoping I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Everything happens, uh, uh, exactly as we hope and so thank you both very much for taking time out to be with us um harley do you want to talk about the next one or is we still working on the the plans for the well, next we have
2: uh, we have uh um, scheduled topics actually right right through October, I think into November, mm-hmm. and I don't have the schedule. Yeah, I of-
0: know. Unfortunately, I'm, usually I'm better at this. But next week, I do know what's happening on uh, the Astro Coffee Hangout. We will be talking with uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Adam Frank from the University of Rochester who has written a paper on the fact on on whether or not climate change might be a uh, great filter for civilizations to uh, be able to um, uh, populate the galaxy and so we're going to be talking about them with their research next week that's next thursday on astro coffee hangout and carol christian may or may not be here she's currently going to the iau i think and so she won't be uh, available but we'll see Uh, anyway on behalf of my guests i want to thank you all so much for watching this is something you get every Thursday uh, courtesy of the American Astronomical, the American Astronautical Society and the American Astronomical Society. They both uh, endorse and uh, and uh, support these Hangouts. So thank you very much to them. Please check out their website. If you want to be notified uh, on all of these new Hangouts, if you go to deepastronomy.space, you click on Register, you enter your email address, and that's all we'll ask you for. We will notify you. Uh, for future Hangouts as well as new content that comes out. So thank you all for doing that, and you'll get absolute uh, reliable notifications each time. (laughs) All right, so on behalf of Harley Thronson and my guests, I want to thank you all so much for watching. And as always, keep looking up. Okay.